Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. I'd like to introduce today Elder Normatiko, who has just returned from Nizhny Novgorod, Moscow, and the city of Kiev. Kiev is very much on our minds at this time because we are planning to commence there in just eight weeks' time. By the time the folks see this, it's going to be, of course, shorter. But it's going to start, the campaign is going to start on, is it the July 29th? 29th of July. Yes. And uh, we have through Alamatiko, been fighting a tremendous battle in the city of Kiev. There is a great battle going on there to stop the preaching of the Word of God as old communist forces try to, to stop the Word of God from going forth. That's true. And Alamatiko has been our representative. We want to say today, and we want to send a special greetings to all of our viewers on television and let them know that we need their prayers and we need their support in a very special way at this time. There are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of lives now in the balance. And by the grace of God, we are planning to go ahead with the campaign against tremendous odds. And Elder Matiko is with us today, and I'm asking him, Norm, to tell us a little of what has been going on. You've been over there now for the best part, two weeks? It's at least two weeks. Yes. Seems like a month. I know, it seems a long time. <laughs> Uh, what are conditions ac exactly like now in the city of Kiev? Well, today the situation is a little better than it was two weeks ago. And we thank uh, God for his mercy and grace and for the prayer of each one of you uh, that we have finally gotten the word and the signed on the dotted line that we can proceed with the meetings. Tell us about the auditorium that by the grace of God we have secured because it has been by the grace of God. That's right. See, the problem has been we have not been able to secure the auditorium till we had the signing of the document permitting permission to hold meetings in the city of Kiev. And some of the people who had to sign were old communists. communists. Including the minister of religion. And he's an atheist. That's right. Yeah, so, the, so the guy in charge of religion is an atheist. Um, tell and, us. and it was very difficult to find him in his office. So, uh, was he drunk? No, 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 he no. wasn't drunk, no. but, mm. uh, you know, they just uh, work whenever they feel like it. Yes, and that's not often. And uh, consequently, we have to sit vigil, do a vigil there I to know. get him. Uh, the people, now, you, you may think this is a little too dramatic, but our church members had to sit outside that hall day after day, hoping that the man would come to work. That's right. Mm -hmm. It was actually at the city hall. I had to sit 15 minutes before the doors opened till about 5.30 when the place closed at 5, but they sat till 5.30 day hoping they could day. catch him. Day after day. Because these officials uh, just don't turn up for work. And when I spoke about drunkenness, that today 
is a tremendous problem in that part of the world. Not very much so. Uh, tell us, describe the hole to us. You know, as you mentioned earlier, it seats uh, approximately 10,000. Yes. It's the Palace of Sport. It's a very prestigious building. It's in the heart of the city of Kiev. Uh, everyone knows where it is located. It's a place where they like to go, where they have a lot of their uh, cultural meetings, their concerts, and uh, we believe it's going to be a great place. We, of course, had hoped we'd have gotten it for a lot less when we yes. originally had approached uh, the, uh, the uh, Hall people. Let, let me make an appeal, because uh, we're going to turn this into a video and send it out to many of the folks who are supporting us. We were told originally that we could get this vast auditorium for $1,000 a day. Now, that's a lot of money over in that part of the world where the average person gets how much a month? About $30. And so, if the average person is getting $30 a month, $1,000 a day for an auditorium is a lot of money. Right. And so, we have budgeted to pay $30,000 for 30 days. How much is it going to cost us now? $2,000 a night. Yes. Or a day. $60,000. That's right. And so we have just received word, and I'm telling you, we have just received word that we've got to find $60,000 instead of $30,000. Now, um, we're saying to our supporters on 3ABN and on the other networks, if ever there was a time when we needed to come together and pray and support the work of God in that part of the world, it is today. That's true. Because the doors are closing. Many people believe that this campaign in Kiev is going to be the last That's crusade. Right. That's right. The forces of darkness are moving in. And we believe that we've got to go ahead, we've got to raise the money, and we've got to press on whatever it costs us. We are not planning to retreat. Absolutely. Norm, tell the folks about the, the brochure. Well, we've, gone, we've gone ahead in faith to prepare the handbills. This is the handbill that will actually, uh, this will fold, and this will be the handbill that you will see mm -hmm. uh, that will be given out. The There'll be a million of these printed. Mm -hmm. And they're being printed in Texas. And some of you will say, well, why didn't you print them in the Ukraine or in Russia? Well, you can, you can print them if you have five years, okay? But we don't have five years to print them. It takes time to get the paper, and everything just takes time. You just can't do something overnight. And, and, so. and the folks can see, if they get a camera in close here, that, of course, this is translated into Ukrainian. That's right. Everything is all ready to go in Ukrainian. I want to say to our folks who are watching us, printing a million of these in Texas is not a small job. We believe that the presses will start to run in just a few times at Mother Oil Printers. A few days. A mm, few days. What did I say? Times. <laughs> okay, in just a, a few days, the presses will start running uh, over there in, uh, in Texas, in uh, where is it? Uh, between uh, Fort, Worth. Uh, Fort Worth, I think it is. We're going to have a million of these done, and then we're going to have them airlifted to the Ukraine. The weight of this is many, many, many tons. It is going to cost us a tremendous amount to do it. In excess of eight tons of paper. Eight tons of paper. It's got to be airlifted. And then we've got to battle with the authorities to get the stuff out of customs. The stuff could sit in customs for a month, and if they want to, then they can charge us a tremendous price. They could charge us, if they wanted to, 
30 or 40,000 dollars simply to release it from customs. Now you say to me, it's too much and there's too much effort. I want to tell you, the most important thing we can do is preach the gospel. And we believe that our God will supply our needs. And we're asking all of our viewers in, the, in this church today, we're asking our supporters right throughout North America, we're asking our supporters up in Canada, throughout the United States of America, down in the Caribbean, to do something extraordinary at this time for God and the preaching of the Word of God. Pastor Carter, I might just say that uh, some may, that are listening or viewing this on television may yes. feel that uh, uh, these are just uh, evangelistic talk as no. far as the uh, closing of the work there. Our, our believers and our leaders in uh, yes. the, that area believe that this will probably be the last time a large evangelistic crusade will be conducted in Kiev. This is not only for our church, but other churches. Billy Graham, when he held meetings just a few weeks ago in the same sports palace that we were going mm -hmm. into, he got permission three days before the meetings were to start. And because of the prayers of you, your people and the blessing of God, we've been able to get this for two months ahead yes, of time. Yes, and for 30 days. That's right. Um, let us tell the people something else too. We have a burden on our hearts because this is going to be, we think, the last crusade in Kiev to televise it. That's true. We're now, we don't have a dime to do this. We want to take our television crew. We want to take four television cameras, four cameramen, producer, director, engineer, sound operators. You don't do this for a pittance. That's true. We want to televise the series, and then we want to make videotapes out of the series and supply every pastor in the Ukraine and Russia with a video projector and a set of these videotapes to preach the Word of God. Amen. We are talking here about the possible conversion of hundreds of thousands of souls. That is going to cost us initially $130,000. And we're appealing today to the people in North America, down in the Caribbean, up in Canada, we're appealing to them to come to the help of the Lord as they've never done it before. It is now time for God to work. And Norm, we appreciate what you've done. We thank God that the hall has been secured. This is the start of the battle. And by the grace of God, we are going to see in a few weeks' time thousands of precious souls baptized in the Nipa River at the very spot where in 988 AD, Prince Vladimir baptized Mother Russia into the Orthodox religion. This is the most historic campaign ever to take place in the ex-Soviet Union. We appeal to our supporters on 3ABN, stand with us for the glory of God at this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone has asked me for a title for this segment in our program. I had thought of living in the word but decided against it because over our years of ministry we have met some people who live in the word only to get material that they can use to hit people over the head with. H have you ever met someone like that? There's probably not too many in Southern California. And so instead of living by the word they just live in it for that reason. So I decided on living by the word this, of course, implies that one has read it to know how to live by it.
And this is so important, as the world is always ready to point at the Christian church and say, you don't live any different to us. And sadly, that is often the case. When you Christians ask, how should we live? They are usually told that the Ten Commandments are a good place to start. And as we continue in the word, the Holy Spirit will show us principles to live by. Please come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God gives us many principles, and this morning we'll just look at one in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that we shouldn't use cocaine, LSD, tobacco, etc. It doesn't go into detail like that, but it does tell us not to place any unhealthy thing in our bodies. And so, here is a principle of healthful living, and then God expects us to use our common sense. Do you want freedom from AIDS, freedom from becoming a broken family, freedom from meaninglessness and loneliness, freedom from fear, guilt and despair? Listen to James 1.22 where it says, Don't be just hearers of God's word, but also doers of the word. And so if we want true happiness, peace and contentment, God tells us to live by his word. Amen. Proclaim the glory of the Lord. Let every tongue confess he reigns. Lift up his name in praises forever. Proclaim the glory of the Lord. With hands uplifted, let us praise him. Oh, <laughs> 
want to thank Martha today for bringing us that music. I want to thank Paul Mickelson too for playing for us. I'd like you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to Daniel chapter 4 and verse 1. Daniel, the fourth chapter, and verse 1. And today we will continue our studies in this great book, Daniel, the fourth chapter, and verse 1. We want to give a special welcome today to our viewers on television, and we're glad that you've joined us. And we invite you, when you're in Southern California, to come worship with us at the Community Adventist Fellowship at 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California, on Saturday mornings at 10.45 a.m. We want you to feel extremely welcome to come and join us. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 1, and this is the chapter on Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a tree. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. Daniel chapter 4, in many ways, is the most remarkable chapter in the Bible because it describes the conversion of Babylon's king. In history, there was nobody, at least in ancient history, as famous or more famous than Nebuchadnezzar. He was a bloodthirsty ruler, and yet this chapter gives us evidence to believe that he was converted and he's going to be in the kingdom of God. When a person reads Daniel chapter 4, it is like reading the story of the conversion of some modern-day dictator like Stalin or perhaps even Saddam Hussein. And yet it is true. This chapter indicates that this man, who was the ancient Saddam Hussein, living in exactly the same area of the world, was converted to Christ and became a child of God. And he's going to be with Daniel in the kingdom of God. There are great eternal truths that are taught in Daniel chapter 4 that I want you to notice today. Number one, that the Most High God rules above human government. And even when things appear to be out of control, it is only an appearance because God is in control. And men and nations have a probationary period. God has drawn a line in the sand. And God says to individuals, as he says to nations, if you step over that line, you will invite destruction and judgment. There's another great truth that we discover when we read this chapter. Listen to this. Whoever makes his happiness depend on anything lower than the heavens, less enduring than the stars, and less stable than the creator God himself, invites destruction. And so in this chapter, we have a man who becomes engrossed with the things of this world and his great accomplishments. And when he is standing at the very pinnacle of earthly power and success, he becomes a madman under the curse of God. But there's another great truth in this book that I want you to notice and think about today. And here it is. And I think this is the greatest of all truths. There is hope and there is mercy for the greatest sinner. If God could save a man like Nebuchadnezzar, is there any limit to the power of God? 
This chapter is an illustration of God's grace abounding. And therefore, today, I want every person to recognize that from this chapter, we have hope for the worst person in the world. If Nebuchadnezzar is going to make it to the kingdom of God, my friend, then so can you and so can I. Please notice Daniel 4 verses 1 to 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is a chapter written largely by Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now my friend, these are not just the words of a pagan king. These are the words of a man whose heart has been touched by the grace of God. Here is a man who after his experience gives glory and praise to the God of heaven. Because now he has become a child of the God of heaven. And this chapter tells us how God dealt with this man and how God led him into the kingdom of God. Notice the story of the dream. Verse 4. Daniel 4 verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. This man was a great dreamer, wasn't he? As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And so, the import of these verses is to tell us again of the impotency of the wise men of Babylon. This is a little bit like Daniel 2. The king has a dream. And because of protocol, he has to invite the wise men and the magicians and the astrologers to tell him the dream. But once again, as in Daniel 2, the wise men and the astrologers are impotent to tell the king what he has dreamed. And so, at the very last, God, God's man comes in before the presence of the king. Now notice verse 9. Would you please notice verse 9 and onwards. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky, it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. 
In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger. And that is not the best translation, a messenger. The King James Version here is more accurate because the King James Version says a watcher. Not just a messenger, but a watcher. Did you know, my friend, that there are divine watchers? Did you know that God is watching us? And that everything we do is open to the eye of Almighty God? And the Bible here talks about the coming down from heaven of a divine watcher. It says here a messenger, but I say again, better to translate it, a watcher. A messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times or seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers or watchers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, thank you. I want you to think now of the vision. As the king is sleeping, this proud potentate, this man who inscribed his name on literally hundreds of thousands of bricks, saying, I have built this kingdom for my glory and there is none like unto me. As this mighty potentate and king is sleeping, he sees a great tree. And this is a tree that spreads across the world and the birds of the air dwell in the branches of the tree and the animals of the earth find shade under its branches. And as he is dreaming, he hears the voice of a holy one, a watcher. More than a messenger, but a watcher. And the watcher cries out, hew down the tree, cut off its branches. Let the animals get away from under it, lest they be destroyed. Cut down the tree. And let seven years pass over him. Let his mind be changed. Let his mind be changed from that of a human being to that of an animal. And let him live with the beasts of the field. Let him go out and let his body become wet with the dew of the field. And let seven times pass over him until he knows that God rules in heaven. But then there is grace that is given. There is mercy that is indicated because God says, leave the stump Leave the root in the ground, band, banded about by iron and brass. So that he might know that man does not have the final say, 
but there is a God in heaven who is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so he says to Daniel, Belteshazzar, tell me the dream and explain the dream to me so that I can understand this dream that has terrified me in the night visions. I want you now please to notice the interpretation of the dream. And this dream tells us that there is an almighty God. Would you please notice it? We will start at verse, start at verse 19 again. Then Daniel also called Belteshazzar was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are the tree. You are the man. You are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a watcher, a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times or years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. When you acknowledge that heaven rules, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. Let's talk about it. The tree represents the king of the greatest kingdom of the ancient world. This great tree that spreads out around the earth is none other than Nebuchadnezzar. And the verdict is this, that the king is going to be cut down in the prime of his manhood. And an awful curse is going to rest upon him. And he's going to be driven out of the kingdom. And he's going to eat grass like animals. And seven years is going, are going to pass over him. But even in this fearful declaration of divine judgment, there is the hope of grace. Because the Bible says, leave a root in the earth bound about with 
iron and bronze so that he will have an opportunity of becoming a sane person again. And God says to him, your kingdom is going to come back to you and your sanity is going to be restored when you recognize that there's a God in heaven. There are some tremendous truths here that I want you to think about. I want you to know that nothing happens in this world without the knowledge of God. And sometimes we may think that we are isolated and God does not care, but I would have every person here to know this, that God is alive and God is watching us. Mm -hmm. What a thought this is. God is watching us. We are surrounded in this church by the holy angels of God. God knows every thought and every intent of our hearts. And God is watching us. And the Bible tells us that the God of abundant grace and abundant mercy is also a God of justice. And God appoints to every one of us a probationary time and God says, you can go so far in your sins, but I am watching you. And when a nation steps over that divine threshold, or when an individual steps over that divine threshold, it is to invite the judgments of God. And there is only one thing, my beloved friend, that will turn back the judgments of God, and that is repentance. This is an unpopular word today, but did you know that repentance is mentioned over and over in the Bible? I think baptism is mentioned less than a dozen times in the, in the New Testament, but repentance is mentioned about a hundred times. And Daniel says to the king, there is only one thing that can save you and that can turn back the wrath of God and that is if you turn from your sins and show mercy to the poor. Because repentance must be translated into godliness and holy living. Listen carefully to this great truth. All of the threatenings and promises of God are conditional. We are told in the prophets, particularly the prophet Ezekiel, that if God says such and such concerning a kingdom, and if God says the kingdom is going to be destroyed, if that kingdom repents and turns to God, the kingdom will not be destroyed. Remember the preaching of Jonah. Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. But Nineveh was never overthrown. Was he a false prophet? No, the people repented and turned to God. And when God issues a decree, it is not just a case of it being set for eternity and nothing can change it. Repentance can even turn the mind of God. And I want every person here to know today that whatever is going on in your life, you can turn back the forces of darkness and you can turn back the forces of evil by crying out to God in repentance. And so Daniel the prophet was faithful to the king. He said, this is going to happen to you, but it need not happen to you if you turn to God. 
and if you break with your sins. Now please read on, and we are told the outcome of the story. Now verse 28 and onwards, dear people, the dream is fulfilled. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later. What do you call that, twelve months later? Yeah, but what do we call a year? Yeah, I know it's time, but it's got another name here. It's mercy. It's mercy. God gave him another year. God gave him another year. God says the tree's going to get cut down, but it didn't happen for another year. Listen very carefully. God is filled with mercy and God is filled with grace. God gave the king another 12 months, but listen to this. There is a limit even to the mercy of God. So notice what happens. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal, royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I want to tell you folks something. It's a pretty dangerous thing when we take glory to ourselves. When God blesses us because we are such frail, sinful mortals, there is a tremendous temptation to take the glory to ourselves. Look what we've been able to do. I want to tell you, any good thing that we do is by the grace of God. Any good thing that we ever do is because God has come into our lives and God has made it possible. As one commentator said, why should animated mud be proud? And we need to give the glory to God. But he was a man who had received this dreadful warning from the prophet and he's walking up on top of the palace and he looks around and he says, is not this great Babylon that I have built for my glory? And when he takes the glory to himself, the wrath of God comes. Would you please notice it? Verse 31, Daniel 4, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. That was a very unique way, a radical way of introducing the king to vegetarianism. <laughs> Sorry about that. Some of these things just won't stay in. I keep most of them in, folks. Yeah. Am I getting close to you now? Hmm? You'll be driven away from people, live with the wild animals, you'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times, we don't want to say it too loudly, and he did it when he's crazy. You'll mm -hmm. eat grass like cattle. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle 
and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now, I want to tell you something that's quite interesting. Dr. Siegfried Horn, the famous German archaeologist, told me this some years ago, that they have discovered a, a clay tablet over there in Babylon that talks about, and this was only discovered relatively recently, a clay tablet that actually describes what happened to the king. This is pretty amazing. But in the clay tablet, in the inscription, it says that a, a horror and a darkness came upon the king. Now he became like an animal. In fact, he thought he was an animal. And psychologists, I understand, have got a name for this sickness. It's called lycanthropy. Lycanthropy is a disease that comes upon a person when he actually thinks he is an animal and he acts like an animal. Here comes another one. Which makes me think of a man who was saying a, a psychologist because he thought he was a dog. The psychologist said to him, how long have you thought you were a dog? He said, ever since I was a little pup. <laughs> now, it is an actual sickness. And because the king had taken glory to himself, the Bible says he became insane and acted as an animal. Listen to this, church of the living God. Sin is closely allied to insanity. Would you like to know who the sanest people in the world are? The sanest people in the world are the people who love God and who keep his commandments. If you want to see insanity, go where Elder Matiko has gone, where people have turned away from God. Go to Russia, go to the Ukraine, and there you will see the breakdown of one of the greatest empires in the world and you will see acts, continual acts of insanity. When man turns away from God, he becomes unhinged. What has happened today to society? Why do we have so much crime, so much violence? Why has this nation been taken over by a reign of, of terror that people say, it's madness. Haven't you heard people say it? What's happening to us? It is madness. People are acting like beasts. Why are people acting like beasts? It is because, my friend, they have turned away from the God of heaven. There is only one hope for the human race. There's only one hope for you. There's only one hope for me. And that is the sanity that comes in our hearts when we lift up our eyes to heaven and worship God. But this man, with all his wealth, and all his power had turned away from the living God and the judgment of God came upon him. Remember the statement, whoever makes his happiness depend on anything lower than the heavens, less enduring than the stars and less stable than the creator God invites destruction. Now, there are two great truths that I want you to understand today. Two great truths about man and God. Listen to these great truths because they are powerful. Here they are. The first great truth, 
Man is far worse than he ever feared to think. Man is far worse than he ever feared to think. We are all capable of the worst of sins when we become insane with sin. Number one, man is far worse than he ever feared to think. But the second great truth, God is far better than he ever dared to hope. Did you hear this? God is far better than he ever dared to hope. And even when the king, because of his sin, goes insane and he goes out and lives with the animals of the field, he is not forsaken by God. So in judgment, God remembers mercy. And as Paul said in Romans, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And you may feel as guilty and as hopeless as Nebuchadnezzar. And you may be insane in sin, but there is still a God who loves you. Amen. That's the message of this book. Please read verse 34 now. Daniel 4, verse 34. At the end of that time... I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Ah, what does he do? At the end of seven years, he lifts up his eyes to God. I say, lift up your eyes to God. At the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the, the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever and ever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the God of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase or humble. Listen to this. There is a close relationship between the mental forces and a person's relationship to God. After seven years of acting like an animal, being filled with insanity, and this is a picture of our society here in Los Angeles and other parts of America where people act like animals, filled with hate. But after seven years, this man, through the power of the Holy Spirit, lifts up his eyes to God. And when he looks up and looks at God, God restores him. Mm. Glory be to God. With sin did abound, grace did much more abound, and his mind focuses, and once again, he is a man again. When we ran, conducted 
great campaign in the Dallas Brooks Hall, and you were part of our wonderful team, Steve. A lady came to those meetings, her name was Nancy. You may not remember her, but we ran those meetings for month after month and saw hundreds of people baptized and saved in the kingdom. And Nancy came and I was asked by her to talk to her. She was a broken woman. Her health was broken. I will never forget her. Her body was broken. I thought to myself, after talking to her, I will be honest with you, I thought, I don't think much can be done. She's gone so far. Her mind has gone. Her body is broken. She's been on drugs. Her family has fallen apart. And then she did something else. She left our meetings and she got tied up with a bunch of religious fanatics. And I thought, it is hopeless. But she started to read the Bible. Because I tell people this over and over again. Read the Bible, I say. Read the Bible. I said, Nancy, read the Bible. And she started to read the Bible. And she lifted up her eyes to the God of heaven. She was completely restored mentally and physically. She became an outstanding songwriter. By the end of that campaign, she had led personally to the baptismal font 24 people, 24. She went out on the streets, told people, come in. And she, she bought ads in the newspaper and she told at her own expense how God had changed her and delivered her. I say to you, lift up your eyes to the God of heaven because the God of heaven can change things, marvelously change things. Mm -hmm. He's alive. He's alive. I want to read you a statement from my favorite commentator, the great Protestant commentator, the Englishman Matthew Henry. In his quaint style of another year, he says, listen to these quaint words, if so great a blasphemer and persecutor did find mercy, if so great a blasphemer and persecutor did find mercy, he was not the last. And if our charity may reach so far as to hope he did, we must admire free grace by which he lost his wits for a while that he might save his soul forever. He lost his wits for a while, that he might save his soul forever. I am confident that when the roll is called up yonder, and the saints of God answer to their name, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, present and correct. I am here, Lord, Say by grace, walking down the streets of gold with the prophet Daniel. Isn't this good? Boy, you ought to be jumping up, shouting hallelujah. What have we learned from this? Let me tell you something. You and I don't praise God enough. Some of us have just about had all the marrow of emotion sucked out of our bones. And we think piety is akin to senility. 
Ah, got a smile, glory. Here is a man saved by grace, as God would save every person. Lost his wits for a while that he might save his soul forever. What can I tell you from this? What are the great truths of this book? Number one, there is a sovereign Lord and he is in control of every man, including the Nebuchadnezzars. Nothing happens without his permission. We may be concerned about the, the need for money for Russia and Ukraine and sometimes I am almost filled with despair. Where does a person find 250,000 whatever it is that we got to find so quickly? The God, my friend, who made us is in charge. Charge of everything. He's sovereign Lord. Number two, sin is insanity. Man becomes a beast when he forgets God. Number three, do not presume upon the mercy of God. There is a line that is crossed. Now somebody watching today or somebody walking into this church may say, well, I'll do what I like. It's my own life and I'll repent when I feel like it. No, you won't. You'll repent when God gives you permission to repent. You may say, I'm going to repent tomorrow. No, you won't if God says you won't. You will repent when God gives you permission to repent. Repentance is the gift of God. It is not always available. Oh, you say, but I thought it was always available. Remember, the man who plans to repent at the, at the 11th hour usually dies at 10.50. So repentance is not always available. And there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord where the call of his spirit is lost as you travel along with the pleasure mad throng. Have you counted, have you counted the cost? There may be somebody listening to my voice today and you take one more step and you're going to step over into darkness and into oblivion or insanity. There's a line that is crossed. Step back from the line. Do not presume upon the mercy of God. But remember this, there's mercy and grace for all. Grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. And if the almighty God can save a potentate like Nebuchadnezzar, he can save you and he can save me. Because he is greater than our sins. Therefore, therefore, here is the punchline, therefore, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Take your eyes out of the dirt. Take your eyes out of the television set. Take your eyes out of the trashy novels. Take your eyes out of impurity. Take your eyes out of your checkbook. Take your eyes out of yourself. Put your eyes upon Christ. Put your eyes upon Christ. Lift up your eyes and worship and acknowledge and obey him. Nebuchadnezzar said, now I extol and worship and honor the God of heaven 
He sets up kings, he overthrows kings. His kingdom endures forever and ever. Let God be God in your life. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God.